How are you doing in this beautiful day? I'm so thankful for Pastor John and the church for many years of prayer and faithful support to me and to my family and to the ministry that we are doing right now in the Holy Land. This ministry of reconciliation that started as a small group of people taking seriously the teaching of Jesus and now we are being asked to present or to bring our experience to other parts of the world that they are having conflict. But before that, let me explain to you how I got to be and to do reconciliation. First of all, I am Palestinian Christian and Israeli, and during my travel in the U.S., I found out that those things need to be clarified, this complex identities. Palestinians are the indigenous people of the land. The Holy Land is a bridge between Africa, Asia, and Europe. All the time in the land were multi-ethnic groups, Samaritan, Jews, Arab, Egyptian, Phoenician. We joke and we say that every empire that came to the Middle East have left its mark on the Holy Land and the people, Christian. We see ourselves going back to the time when you read about it in the book of Acts, when the multi-groups multi of ethnic and language people the day of Pentecost have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see ourselves as going back to that time and able to stay in the land of the fathers, the land of the prophets, the land where Jesus born truly in Bethlehem, where he walked and healed in the hills of Galilee, and he went from Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem in order to be crucified, and the tomb is empty. Palestinian Christian sees himself living in those holy sites as universal testimony that those things truly happen in history. So throughout the 2000s of church history, People came to the land in order to be touched by the community that we see ourselves as the fifth gospel and the land, the stones speak its glory. How I became Israeli. In the, in the 20th century, things have changed in the Middle East. Nationalism came. People that were in Eastern Europe, mostly Jews that were experiencing hardship from uh, European and European Christian, they were looking to establish for them a homeland and a state. And that came on the expense of the people, the indigenous people living in the land, the Palestinian. And during that conflict, my hometown, Lida, it is a city that it is famous for St. George, the one when you come to the land, you see him on the horse killing the dragon, is the patron of England, very important saint in the Middle East and Europe. As an example, how a person can be faithful to Christ in spite of persecution. And eventually he was, he was being killed because he didn't want to give up his faith in Jesus. So our town, 
got conquered by the Israeli army, major atrocity has been committed against the people. The people were driven out from the city when the army ordered my father to leave his house. He found refuge in the church with another 200 Christian. And they were able to stay in the city and they became uh, refugees in their own homeland, in own home city, were not able to go back to their home. So I borne the past, past traumatic effect of 1948 that the Palestinians, we call it the Nakba, the catastrophe. And growing up in the cities, that majority of the people were Jews and Palestinian Christian Muslim, learning the different language and cultures and religion, going to Christian school, then my parents sent me to Jewish high school. In Jewish high school as a teenager, where, where I experienced, like many teenagers, uh, identity challenges. And my identity challenges were much more than just average young person. The teacher in the classroom were teaching us about the experience, the negative experience that Jews had in Europe by the Christian, and my Christian identity came into challenge. My priest never taught me to hate anyone, but you come to terms with the reality that European Christianity have left painful mark on the Jewish history. But also, my teacher were talking and saying that the land was desert, and the Jews came and turned the desert into a garden, and there is no Palestinian people. Where here I could challenge him, my teacher, in my classroom, and you can imagine 15 years old, young boy in the class of 40 kids, and you are the only Palestinian Christian, you raise your hand at the back of the class and say, teacher, what you're telling is not truth. Look from the window, you see the church of St. George, that my grand-grandfather built. Look the houses, they are Palestinian, but the people who live there are Jews right now. So when your ethnic and religious identity come into a challenge, you ask a lot of questions. And part of those questions, the question, what's happened? And one time, as we were studying about King Herod's and his history influence on the people of the land 2,000 years ago, I asked the question to my teacher, why don't we study about another king? He looked at me puzzled, and he said, which another king? And I said, King Jesus. And mentioning the name of Jesus in Jewish high school in the early 70s, it was like earthquake and tsunami at the same time. <laughs> First things I lost at that time, the date that the lady, the Jewish lady was sitting next to me. It took me quite a bit later to convince her to still to go out with me. <laughs> but I don't like to lose an argument. And my mother said from age four, and my, wife's, my wife agreed with her. So if your wife and mother agree together, you're in trouble. <laughs> but that drove me to a Bible study. And this Bible study, I'm beginning to study about Jesus. And not long time ago, we, my wife and I were walking the street of Jerusalem, 
and celebrating the Palm Sundays. And I imagined all these people, the palms, when Jesus coming from Mount of Olive, walking down to the, to the temple and purifying the temple. And the people at the time of Jesus, they were not only wanting Jesus to purify the temple from the money changers, they wanted him to dwell in the temple and fight and the Roman Empire. They wanted him to relieve the people from the Sadducees, the, the corrupt religious leaders that controlled them. They were hoping that the Messiah will dwell in Jerusalem and the nations from all around the world will come and worship in Jerusalem, worship the Jewish people. They want their enemy to be crushed. And Jesus came with a different idea. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom of God with his crucifixion and resurrection, history have changed. The kingdom of God, it is in this world as a mustard seed. The kingdom of God, its manifestation comes through a group of people that they are coming from different ethnic groups, nationality, and among them there is equality. And the love and the compassion and the justice and mercy in this community, it's built because they all worship Jesus, a king that died for his people and not a king that are asking people to die for him. The Roman Empire built upon the sword of the Roman army, the Pax Romana. The kingdom of God is not built on the sword, it's built on the cross. That's different, substantially, in essence from what we think today about kingdom and line of politics, of ethnicity, and state, and nation that we're living today. The manifestation of the kingdom of God is through community of people, and that's what Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He first described what God did to us in Christ, the price, the salvation, and all what happened in him. Then he is inviting us to participate in what God is doing in history. And this is the reason why this church has a mission, uh, people that you support. We are invited to join God in doing the most beautiful things in history. God is giving us a ministry, a ministry that is our vocation. But not only 2 Corinthians is talking about a ministry, is also talking about something very important. God gave us the words, the declaration, the decrees of the kingdom of God and reconciliation. I gave you the word, and the word is a decree that came from Caesar in Rome at that time, and this decree is it's obligated for the people of the Roman Empire to carry it all the way to the end that everybody will know Caesar declared things. And we are today are obligated to declare him to the end of the earth because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But more than that, he's calling us to be ambassadors. 
some of the ambassadors to the country are friends of ours. So I've been invited to one of them at his home. And to my amazement, this ambassador spoke Arabic and Hebrew. He knew the culture. He knew the people. He loved the people. So we are ambassadors. It might mean that we have to leave our geographical location to go to another geographical location. And when we go, we need to learn about another group of people that God created and blessed, and God sent his son to die for them. And we need to learn their language and culture, respect it and appreciate it. But at the same time, as ambassador, we have a message about the kingdom of God, inviting them to join us into the community of faith without losing their distinct ethnic groups and culture and language. Because in Christ there is no male, there is no female. In Christ there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no barbarian. We are all equal in the household of God with our distinct identity, blessing, and having our temple as a place where the Holy Spirit dwells and be a witness to the world. So we are ambassador. But more than that, Paul is saying to us, that we are also, that through us, God is pleading to the world, be reconciled to God and to each other. This message spoke very much into my heart that as a result, I went to study theology in the state. Coming back in order to minister to Israeli Jews and Palestinians. At that time, until today, many of the Jews that believe in Jesus struggle with the issue how they're going, how to keep their identity as Jews, and when they believe in Jesus in the light of the bad and painful history of European Christianity with the Jews. But for the Palestinian people that I was teaching at Bethlehem Bible College, they had a whole set different questions. They were under occupation, curfew, Many of the land has been taken to build settlements. So my students were asking me questions. Should we go to demonstration? Should we throw the stones? What we do when people use the Bible to justify uprooting us from our land? Those type of questions in systematic theology one and two and three. In the seminary, they did not deal with it. The question that my students were asking me puzzled me, but not only puzzled me, they also uh, challenged me because every time they asked me what the other people group think, and I told them they didn't like my answer. So I said, just a minute, if you don't like to hear what the other side, you don't like the answers that I'm giving you, why don't you meet with them? And they met. It was a disaster. Both group believe in Jesus. And remember, it is challenging because Jesus is our Lord. In Psalm, it's written how good and pleasant when the brethren are coming together. And it was not pleasant. It was painful. So I thought to myself, the students are not mature, are not educated. Maybe if I have a group of pastors from each side, it will be better. You know, they have MDiv. They spend time with the Lord. They preach. They teach the Bible. 
There are spiritual people that turn out to be worse than my students. <laughs> and I ask my question, why it's not working out? And I came to the conclusion that if you really look also in the book of Acts, we have the same problem today. Today, conflict is not between states, it's between communities. All around the world, we have the Brexit in the Catalonian in Spain, uh, election in different countries. It's the worst is not, or conflict is not between big states in communities all around the world, in the Middle East, in Europe, in America. And this type of conflict will be resolved mainly because of grassroots movement that putting pressure on the politician. And if women are involved in the conflict, 30% more chances to have a solution because women are the change agent of societies in many cultures around the world, including here in the United States of America. Women are key today in changing the world we're living in because it's a grassroots movement. 80% of pieces peace that have been achieved in the world, in Liberia, Northern Ireland, in Africa, in South America, is the involvement of women and grassroots movement. And you don't have to convince everybody it's enough if you convince 3% of the population that they are dedicated to bring the teaching of the Prince of Peace into our daily reality because our politicians today are very much paralyzed because of many reasons in their inability to bring change to society. And one of the things is that they are all the time running for election. And they don't have the time to deal with many root problems of societies. But another thing is that come and we see it very clearly also in the first conflict of the church is a conflict between the widows from the Hebrew-speaking and the widow from the Greek-speaking. That talk about imbalance of power. The Hebrew-speaking widows in Jerusalem have been attended and cared for by the disciples because they were part of their ethnic group. The Greek-speaking widows, they were not being attended. They were the other. When you have conflicts where huge imbalance of power, people in position and privilege don't want to let it go without a struggle. The weak will use violence and fall to the trap of the powerful. I'm defending myself and will find ourselves in a vicious cycle of revenge and retaliation like what we see today on TV between Gaza and Israel. Another tit for tat unresolved, or you submit. But Jesus talked about power throughout all the Gospels, the power of love, of service, of compassion. Today we have the challenge between the rich and the poor. I visited the United Kingdom to visit my father-in-law for his 90 years old birthday, reading in the newspaper that 1% of the British population owing 50% of British land. Unbelievable. It's not sustainable. So how we do is imbalance of power. 
Because when people come and meet with each other, if this imbalance of power has not been addressed, that will lead to negative encounter between people. And not only that, one of the biggest things that we have, that we're living in a world that we have dehumanized each other. We're the good, they're the bad. We're the Christian, they're the Muslims or the Jews. We choose where we are strong in moral, moral values, and we choose from them one of the worth moral value in order to judge them. Encounter between Muslim Christians and Jews, many times Jews and Muslims challenge Christians about the Crusades. Christians today challenge Muslims about ISIS and Daesh, and right now we're challenging Jews about militant settlers. So we choose the most negative aspect of other people group, cultural religion, in order to judge and to build our self-esteem and not following what Jesus taught us to love God, to love neighbors, and to love enemies. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to live it? Because in any context, of us and them, dehumanization come. We don't see others as human beings creating God's image and likeness. And then we use religion to demonize them and see them as people beyond redemption in order to quiet our conscience when some of us lash violently against them. How we break that. And there is so much fear in the first letter of John, John is telling us, love cast all fear. Because there is real fear, imaginary fear, but there is so much manipulated fear by our political leaders using social media. My prime minister got voted two times by bringing fear into Jewish community from the Palestinian. We're not supposed to fear the other. We're supposed to love and to embrace the others. But where can we do it? The place that we found uh, ability to bring people together is the desert. We took the first time, as I tell that story again and again, 15 Israeli and 15 Palestinian, both believers in Jesus during the end of the first Intifada. We drove far away into the desert. We stayed in big Bedouin tent. We ate. We read the scripture. We did worship. We did what we call the hallelujah stage, kumbaya, or dipping the hummus together. It was not working out because nighttime come, the Israeli went to sleep in one side and the Palestinian went to sleep in the other side. And my Jewish colleague and myself, we slept, we slept in the middle, and he jokingly said, with one eye open. <laughs> it was not working out. So in the morning, we brought 15 camels. On each camel, put Israeli and Palestinian. And we crossed the desert. By the third day, they became friends. And we asked ourselves, why is that? Because if you read again about the conflict in the book of Acts, the apostles all the time looked for total equality between the different ethnic group in the church. It's not 
one group more important position and privilege than the other one. We're all equal. That is the essence. In every aspect, they have equality. The second, the apostle avoided any competition between the people, uh, between the Greek widows uh, speaking widows and the Hebrew speaking widows. No, for each people, they will, their needs will be attended and addressed. The third thing, they looked for a common goal in the early church, and the common goal was that we are going to build the church of the kingdom of God to be communities that move around the world like salt and light, like a yeast, in order to change the society and reality of our life. And that's what we are called today, because if it's grassroots movement, this is where the church is. And through discipleship, we are going to bring change to our life, to our situation, as the early church did change the Roman Empire from upside down, and it's not as the same. That is our calling. Fighting the, the com equality, embracing each other. So in the desert, one of the things that you discover in the, that we are all dependent on God, we cannot build on expertise or what is your account in your bank. Because you're in the desert, there is no bank, so there's no telephone, there is nothing there. You not only learn to be dependent on God, you're also dependent on the other person is there, and suddenly your enemies that you compete, you don't like, become the source of your survival in the desert. You discover how you respond to people says more about you than about them. How we respond to our enemies speak more about us. And not only that, the quietness of the desert make us to and bring us to the areas of our life there is so much hurts when you are alone and you read the scripture it happened to me so many times i read the chapter and i realize my thought somewhere else not reading the words of god because the pain that came up and i realize that without forgiveness and let it go of revenge I am in jail holding the keys. The demons of the past control my present, and we don't have a future. Both the Palestinians and Jews, a traumatic experience of history, the demons of the past are not enabling us to be free. We need to remember, but we need to remember redemptively. As God taught us in the book of Acts, remember you a stranger in Egypt. When you are powerful, don't do to the powerless what has been done to you, but remember that I am with the weak, with the poor, with the widow. I'm not with the powerful and the mighty. They're, come, they're going to come down. And also, every Sunday in the Lord's Supper, Jesus told us, do that in my memory, that he died for the oppressor and the victim. Also, the desert teaches something very important. One of the most unique things about the teaching of Jesus is when he has been asked, who is my neighbor and Jesus said, my neighbor is the enemy, and he taught us to love our enemies. You see, when we don't love our enemies, we become 
in prison to the snares of our enemies because we are responding to him. And Jesus taught us that if we love as God love all people, the sun and the rain come on all people, on the good, on the wicked. We are free to be who we are as God created us. And we are not subjected to the winds and the cultures and the fear and the hatred that there exists in our society toward other people. We're free again to be who we are. And if our identity is secure and built on the cross of Jesus, we can embrace those that are different than us. In our situation, if the state of Israel will continue to think that they want to be exclusive Jewish society, that is not going to work out because 25% of the state of Israel are no Jews. We are not talking about also the Palestinian territory. Seven million Palestinian, seven million Jews living this small piece of land. If you have exclusive identity, if you become in ghetto mentality, you separate yourself from others, you lose opportunity to be light to the other people and to bless. But we are afraid to do that because we don't want to lose our distinct identity. But when you find your identity in Jesus, you can bless other people. You can embrace them. And together we can bring changes in our society. So we are called today to break walls and lines and borders of political loyalty ethnic loyalty. We are called today to be the people like in the time of Paul, to establish all around the world a start-up community that Jesus is their, their king. A start-up community all around the world, that's what we need to do in the Middle East and other places, because originally those start-up community came up from Jerusalem and arrived all the way to Ockbrook. We worship Jesus because 2,000 years ago, a group of men and women were faithful and believed that that is going to happen. And I believe again that in some way we lost that trust and faith that we can bring change in history. And we allowed people and other politics to close us, to hold us away from blessing other people and to be blessed and finding ourself by blessing other people. That's what we call today, to bring a change, to meet the need. What the Lord requires of you, walk just humbly before the undo justly. We are called to be again. And the most important things, when Paul went to Rome, for Paul, Rome was an ultimate evil. They worship pagan, and Caesar called himself son of God. For Paul, Rome, it is a city that destroyed his beloved city, Jerusalem. But Paul had a new identity in Christ. He went to the people that brought so much pain upon him and his people to bring them with a message of the kingdom of God and salvation. Let us pray. To you, Lord, we give the praise and glory and honor. We are so thankful that, Jesus, you obeyed the Father on the cross. 
and inaugurate the kingdom of God in this world, Lord. May you bless your people. May you empower them. May you give them wisdom and discernment as they are your ambassador in this town to the end of earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.